A North Carolina family now asking what police might be trying to hide. The new two-hour lead starts right now. Breaking just minutes ago, the family of Andrew Brown Jr. claiming they were only shown a snippet of the video showing the moment their loved one was killed by police. Why wasn't all the footage shown? New signs of normal. The Biden administration set to announce new mask guidance as more vaccine shots in arms might mean more freedom. But is the vaccine effort about to hit a wall? And shots in arms, money in pockets. CNN talks to Biden's COVID team about the effort to overwhelm the virus, including an interview with Dr. Anthony Fauci, as you've never quite heard him before talking about Donald Trump. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we start with breaking news in the National Lead today, where moments ago the family of Andrew Brown Jr. in North Carolina just watched the body cam video showing the final moments of their loved one's life, and it was not what they expected. The family's lawyers say that they were only allowed to view a 20-second clip of the body camera video. One body cam, 20 seconds, and an execution. And so with all due respect, I know there were a lot of people who thought last week's verdict was justice, and I told you then it wasn't justice, because we still can't get justice and accountability today. Anticipating unrest, there has already been a state of emergency in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, declared CNN's Brian Todd is in that city in North Carolina for us now. And Brian, family attorneys say they were only allowed to see a 20-second snippet of the body camera video while... What did that 20-second snippet show? Well, it showed, Jake, what the family and its representatives are calling an execution. And to say that they're upset, that they're outraged over this, is a gross understatement. They feel, essentially, that they've been railroaded here by the county attorney, Michael Cox, who they say oversaw this process of them viewing this video. We've talked about, they've said, only 20 seconds out of all the many minutes of footage, of body camera footage, from at least eight officers on the scene, uh, only 20 seconds was made available for them to see. And what we were told was, when that 20 seconds begins, the officers, the deputies, are already shooting at Andrew Brown, and that he's got his hands on the steering wheel, and he's posing no danger to them. We get more detail now from family attorney Chantel Lassiter, who described in, in the, the most detail that we can get what is on that tape. Take a listen. This was the execution. Andrew Brown was in his driveway. The sheriff truck blocked him in his driveway so he could not exit his driveway. Andrew had his hands on his steering wheel. He was not reaching for anything. He wasn't touching anything. He wasn't throwing anything around. He had his hands firmly on the steering wheel. They run up to his vehicle shooting. He still stood there, sat there in his vehicle with his hands on the steering wheel while being shot at. Chantel Lasseter also said that contrary to posing any kind of a danger to those deputies, Andrew Brown, she says, was consciously trying to avoid harming them, backing up, trying to get around them, then trying to get away, all with his hands on the steering wheel, she said, all the time they were shooting at him in that 20 seconds of video. Multiple deputies, she said, surrounding his vehicle doing that, Jake. Very dramatic account from Chantel Lasseter and the other attorneys. They are just so, so frustrated that they haven't been able to get more video 
you know, accessible to them and haven't gotten an explanation to their satisfaction why they're not seeing more video, Jake. Yeah, well, that's, that's the mystery, Brian, because it's not just that the authorities aren't releasing this body cam video, which would be in the name of transparency. If there's nothing to hide, show it. But beyond that, authorities have also had very little to say about what led to their deputies killing Brown. You obtained the death certificate. I'm not sure how much you're able to put together from that document, but tell us what it says. We'll take the document that we obtained. The death certificate says that Andrew Brown died of what it calls, quote, a penetrating gunshot wound of the head, that he died within minutes of being shot, and that it was at the hands of, quote, others. That's about all the detail you're getting, but it does give you the detail that apparently the wound that killed him was a gunshot wound to the head from one of those officers who were firing at him. We can also say that Chantel Lasseter said these officers, these deputies, had Glock handguns and they had assault rifles as well. Jake. All right, Brian, thanks so much. Uh, I want to bring in uh, retired Captain Ron Johnson, who was the incident commander in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, during the protests to the killing of Michael Brown in 2014. Uh, Thanks for joining us. So um, Brown family attorneys, Andrew Brown family attorneys, say they were only allowed to see 22nd uh, of the body camera video. Obviously, there's much more than that that's there. Early this morning, they were told the footage would be redacted. Can you understand any scenario why the family would only be shown 20 seconds from minutes and minutes of of footage? No, and I would say that is unacceptable. You know, at this point, the video will be seen by America and be seen by the attorneys and the families at some point. And so when you know it's going to be seen, why not show it if there's nothing uh, there uh, to hide or nothing there that you see inappropriate, you should show that. And so I think we see it across the country. Police departments are showing these videos as soon as they can. And this should be shown here. The attorneys say that the Brown family, uh, they were uh, initially told only two family members would be allowed to see the video and that no legal counsel would be allowed to be present. Um, What do you make of all this? Once again, unacceptable. We have a right in this country to legal counsel. I think a lot of times uh, when families see videos, of course, their emotions are there and they're seeing it in a different light. So I think it's only appropriate that the attorneys would be there. of course, they've got qualified attorneys. They had attorneys there from North Carolina. And so there's no reason why the attorneys shouldn't be present. The sheriff's office says they need to petition a judge in order to get the video released to the public and that they had already planned to do so. Andrew Brown Jr. was shot and killed last Wednesday. Um, this delay also seems as though it's only potentially creating more of a public uproar. I agree with you. And I believe some of the political leaders in that state need to get involved and speed up that process if it is, in fact, a process they have to go through and get it done. Also, there's so much we don't know. Authorities haven't said where or how many times Andrew Brown Jr. was shot. It's only because of audio from first responders that we know he was apparently shot in the back. Uh, Is it more common practice for police agencies to push for releasing as much information as possible as quickly as possible? Or is this opaqueness, this, this refusal to be transparent, the norm? Well, I think we've seen police departments across the country. Some have been uh, transparent up front, and we've seen some that have uh, is doing what we've seen here. And I think it just shows us how far we have to go. And we have to put some policies in place that are consistent in what we do, consistent in how information gets out. Elizabeth City, North Carolina, they've, they've declared a state of emergency ahead of more protests tonight. Um, those calling for more transparency have been out demonstrating since last week. Pro-police groups, conversely, have said on social media they also plan to protest tonight. What do you think authorities should be doing right now 
uh, to make sure that, that the protests this evening, that they're, that they're peaceful demonstrations? Well, they sh- we need to be doing what they should have been doing a long time ago, meeting with the public, meeting with the community, and being a part and creating partnerships. And so they're going to have to do that now in the midst of, midst of chaos. But with these videos not coming out, not being transparent, it is even going to be tougher. But they're going to have to continue to try. They're going to have to walk that path to do everything they can to bring this community together and find out who the leaders are. All right, retired Captain Ron Johnson, good to see you again. Thanks so much uh, for joining us today. Also this afternoon in the politics lead, Attorney General Merrick Garland this afternoon announcing a federal investigation will now examine policing practices in Louisville, Kentucky. This, of course, in the wake of Breonna Taylor's death, the 26-year-old woman killed when police botched a raid at her apartment last year. The new Justice Department investigation comes as lawmakers are pushing for a more permanent solution to policing practices with the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. That legislation, which already passed the House, would set up a national registry of police misconduct. It would ban chokeholds. It would ban no-knock warrants in federal cases. Some progressive lawmakers say that their push to remove qualified immunity protecting police officers from civil lawsuits is not on the table, not up for compromise. But that single issue has become a sticking point in the U.S. Senate, putting the entire legislation at risk, as CNN's Manu Raju reports. Minneapolis, Louisville, Brooklyn Center, Columbus, Elizabeth City. As deadly confrontations with police continue to mount, so is the pressure on Congress to do something about it. Democrats set a goal to get a deal done by May 25th, the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's death. But two huge issues are dividing the parties, whether to lower the threshold to charge police officers with the crime and whether victims can sue cops in civil court. Both Democratic demands that Republicans are resisting. Are you willing to blow up this deal over that issue? I don't know if I'm willing to blow up the deal. I don't consider that blowing it up. Officers right now are not really held accountable. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, the chief GOP negotiator who is slated to deliver his party's response to President Biden's Wednesday address to Congress, has proposed a compromise. He says that police departments should be sued, not individual officers. And he says that Democratic efforts to make it easier to charge officers with a crime is, quote, off the table. Republicans are signaling they will get behind whatever approach Scott ultimately endorses. I definitely support Senator Scott's efforts. But there's still a laundry list of other sticking points, including whether there should be a federal ban on chokeholds, as Democrats demand, or if the federal government should instead incentivize local police departments to curb the use of excessive force, as Scott has proposed. Progressive Democrats are urging their negotiators to hold the line. We compromise on so much, you know, we compromise, we die. We compromise, we die. Biden is expected to address the issue during this Wednesday speech to Congress. He will also talk about uh, a range of priorities uh, that he has for the uh, upcoming months of his presidency, including uh, putting in place, uh, working with Congress to put in place police reform. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, the Kentucky Republican, just weighed in on the investigation by the Justice Department into his hometown police department in Louisville, Kentucky, telling our colleague Ted Barrett that there have been significant challenges there since the Breonna Taylor incident. And he went on to say it's certainly not inappropriate for the Justice Department to take a look at it. Now, the number two Democrat in the Senate, Dick Durbin, said these Justice Department investigations could be a way of forcing changes at the local level, especially if they don't get a deal on the federal level. And on that federal legislation, Jake, Dick 
Jake Durbin told me that a federal ban on chokeholds is essential, very important, he said, to getting a final deal. But he said he did not want to put any red lines as the negotiations continue. Jake. All right, Manu on Capitol Hill, thanks so much. Also breaking today, the U.S. is not using it, but until now they were not sharing it. That is its stockpile of the AstraZeneca vaccine, sharing it with the rest of the world. Is it too late to make a difference? And will former President Trump give the vaccine effort a shot in the arm right now? Why those around him are urging him to make a PSA, a public service announcement, for his skeptical supporters. Stay with us. In our Healthy Today, encouraging signs that life in the United States is beginning to safely return to some semblance of normal, sources telling CNN President Biden is expected to announce new CDC guidance tomorrow on whether fully vaccinated people need to wear masks outdoors. Dr. Anthony Fauci hinted over the weekend that regulations would soon be relaxed for those Americans who are vaccinated. Also today, we learned that the United States plans to start sharing doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine with other countries pending a safety review. That vaccine is not yet approved for use in the United States, but it could be crucial to containing the virus in other countries, such as India, where a devastating second wave is spiraling out of control, as CNN's Nick Watt reports. Closing in on one-third of the U.S. population is now fully vaccinated. Still far from herd immunity, but apparently normality is nearer than that. You will reach a point even before then where you'll start to see the number of cases going down dramatically. It's going to be a gradual getting with regard to what you can do outdoors, what you can do travel, outdoor sports, stadiums, theaters, restaurants. Even European vacations could be okay this summer for the vaccinated. They're saying those Americans are safe to come to our country without risk of spreading COVID-19. Think about that. That's incredible. But the pace of vaccination here is now slowing. They might not be as fast as the first 50 percent. I think that it's going to be slower, but I think we're going to continue to get there. Eight percent of people may have missed getting their second doses. I'd like it to be a zero percent, but I'm not surprised that there are some people who do that. Allowing the vaccinated to go maskless outside might be an incentive to get the vaccine. Because people who've been vaccinated have wanted some reward from this. Average daily new COVID-19 cases in the U.S. just dropped below 60,000 for the first time in about a month. Right now, the declines that we're seeing, we can take to the bank. I think we can feel more assured because they're being driven by vaccinations and greater levels of population-wide immunity. But in India, crisis mode. The U.S. now sending equipment, drugs, advisors and raw materials for vaccines. The administration will, pending safety review, release doses from its stockpile of AstraZeneca vaccine, unauthorized in this country and apparently not needed. Still unknown which countries they would go to. We really do have a responsibility to try and help vaccinate the rest of the world. And that includes India and other places that need it right now. And here in the U.S., that Johnson & Johnson vaccine is rolling out again after the pause while experts looked into those possible blood clots, very rare blood clots. Now, there was some polling done during that pause, and 73% of people said that they would not be willing to get that Johnson & Johnson vaccine. I haven't seen any polling since the pause was lifting, but, Jake, it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out over the next couple of weeks. Indeed. Nick Watt, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Let's discuss all this with Dr. Jonathan Reiner. He's a cardiologist and a professor of medicine at GW University. Dr. Reiner, what do you think 
is the proper guidance for people who are fully vaccinated? Is it safe to not wear a mask if you're fully vaccinated and you're walking outside? I do think it is. What we've learned now with a striking clarity uh, after vaccinating over 200 million uh, people is that these vaccines work as advertised. So if you look at uh, the first uh, 87 million uh, people fully vaccinated, there have only been about 5,000 symptomatic uh, infections. That's a rate of, of like 0.005%. And if you look at the death rate in fully vaccinated uh, people, it's you know two orders of magnitude less than that, like 0.00009%. So the vaccines work. So I think that it's time to start opening the country to vaccinated people. What vaccinated is- people can go to a restaurant and eat. Okay. Vaccinated people can go out without without masks on. What if what if uh, I'm fully vaccinated? Uh, Dave Matthews is coming to, to D.C. In, in August. Is it safe for me to be in a crowd there? Uh, or if I were, were to go to a, a, a baseball game, would that be safe? Were there, were there lots of people around, even though we're outdoors? So if we had vaccine passports or some sort of vaccine documentation, venues could open up. So, you know, I, I recently had a conversation with someone who works at the 930 Club in D.C. And places like that need about 80 percent occupancy in order to have enough you know, revenue to pay the artists. So how do you open up those places uh, with just 20 percent you know, socially distanced crowds? You can't do it. So we're going to start to see commercial enterprises ask uh, customers for proof of immunity so that they can bring in larger crowds. You know, right now in a. Uh, if I was in an environment with a fully vaxxed crowd, absolutely, I would go see Dave Matthews. Uh, I think the risk to you still, even now, even with unvaccinated people, with you being fully vaxxed, is quite low. At what point uh, will it be safe for me to go, as a fully vaccinated person, to go into the 930 Club, which is an indoor venue, uh, and, and uh, not wear a mask indoors with a crowd of people? I think the risk to you right now is very low. There's probably not, not not probably, we know there's not a zero risk of you becoming infected, but I told, I've already told you how low the risks really are, and the risk of death is, you know, many orders of magnitude lower than that. I think you can do that now. The problem is we need guidelines for the entire country, and it's been difficult for the CDC basically to, to tell half the country, yeah, you can go to the 930 club, and half the country, no, you can't. So yeah. we're going to have to work work through this. And the best way to do this is to get everyone vaccinated. Yeah. An official confirms to CNN that the U.S. is going to start sharing doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is not approved for use here in the U.S., uh, with other countries after a safety review. Multiple world leaders have been pressing the Biden administration yeah. to release the AstraZeneca to them, for, for instance, uh, India. Uh, how important is this, what some people are calling vaccine diplomacy? Yeah, it's about time. It's even it's even a little bit late. That vaccine will never be used in the United States. So, uh, you know, last year, the Trump administration uh, uh, pre-ordered about 300 million doses of that uh, vaccine. Uh, And we we have about 10 million doses bottled and ready to go. Another 20 million doses ready to go into bottles. But uh, AstraZeneca hasn't even applied for an EUA in the United States uh, for that drug. I don't think we'll ever see that. You know, there was some hesitancy to let go of that vaccine, 
you know, for fear of manufacturing problems with the two RNA vaccines or the J&J vaccine. And we've already seen hiccups in the plant that actually makes the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine in the United States. But I think the supply lines are very secure now for the vaccines we have. We have 60 million unused doses in the community. And this vaccine should go uh, to places that really need it, like India. Yesterday, uh, the United States had 33,000 cases. India had 350,000 cases. And they're their uh, case curve is vertical right now. Yeah. So we really need to get them vaccine as, as quickly as possible. The head of the European Union told the New York Times that Americans who have been fully vaccinated against coronavirus will be allowed to visit Europe this summer. Um, is there a safe way for Americans to vacation abroad? Yeah, the safe way is to be vaccinated. The sticky point, and it looks like the uh, object of negotiations now is how do you prove that you've been vaccinated? How uh, can countries and how can the United States develop uh, a document, a vaccination document that will be accepted uh, around the world? But again, if you've been fully vaccinated, it is going to be safe for you to travel. All right, Dr. Jonathan Reiner, thanks so much. Appreciate it. As President Biden approaches his 100th day in office, CNN is taking a look at the Biden administration's all-out effort to vaccinate America and what the administration was left to work with from their predecessors with the Trump administration. Stay with us. In our politics lead today, Thursday will mark President Biden's 100th day in office, and Americans are giving the president mostly positive marks for his job performance so far, with 53% approval in a new poll. But it's Biden's handling of the coronavirus pandemic that's getting him even higher marks, nearly 70% approved in that same poll. President Biden has long said he knows he will be judged on how well he steers the U.S. out of this pandemic crisis. CNN's Gloria Borger now takes a deeper look at his administration's push to do so and what they inherited from the previous administration. From day one, it's been about urgency, overwhelm the problem, we're at war with the virus. For the last hundred days, how to get vaccines into the arms of hundreds of millions of Americans and convince the hesitant to get a shot has been an immense historic undertaking and also personal for those on the front lines. I'm worried that people have lost loved ones. People continue to lose loved ones. People's lives have been um, upturned. You know, this is hard and people are tired, which means that there's a tendency to let down our guard which we can't do. If you had told us 100 days into President Biden's tenure that it would be open season for every adult American that wants a vaccine to be able to get one, I think we would have all said that's really incredible. A country with the highest number of confirmed deaths worldwide now vaccinating at a speed more than four times faster than the world average. Progress we've made has been stunning. Donald Trump's Operation Warp Speed developed the vaccine. It turned out to be the most significant medical discovery and manufacturing achievement in American history. Nothing short of a miracle. Do you realize what a dire situation we would be in if we did those vaccine trials and, oh my God, they were 20% effective instead of 90 plus effective. Operation Warp Speed. But in the beginning, the transition did not move at warp speed. You know, we won Georgia. Just... President Trump was preoccupied with finding votes, not shots. There was much more of a concentration of the president on re-election and a dissociation from the fact that we were having an epidemic. I was somewhat critical. And governors were left wondering who would be running the show. 
I raised the issue to, to Mike Pence several times about, hey, you know, regardless of whatever stuff the president is saying, we got this vaccine thing that we've got to make sure that these guys know what's going on as soon as they get up. You know, and he assured me that that was going to be the case. And then... There was no plan to get shots into arms. No plan? There was no plan. It was early doses of Moderna and Pfizer were being drop shipped to states, and there were just not enough places for people to get vaccinated. They say that you were using their playbook on vaccine distribution. I just think that's just not true. I have to say it's frustrating when they spend all of their time disparaging what we did. They say we didn't have a plan. Yeah. We had 65 plans. Localized, not centralized. We have the fundamental belief that local leaders understood their counties, their townships, their states, their islands at a greater level of detail than we ever could. It's complicated. There was not really a well-articulated long-range playbook to get the vast majority of the people vaccinated. That's where I think the full-court press of the Biden administration really, really stepped up to the plate and did it well. Congratulations, Mr. President. The new president inherited a surging pandemic, more than 3,000 deaths a day, only about 15 million vaccinated. The very beginning, the frustration was huge demand and no supply. We need to get it and so the anger and frustration everywhere across the country was, why can't I get a an appointment for a vaccine. Biden became the national vaccine pitchman, setting targets. He ultimately decides. And announcing every milestone himself, eager to show any momentum, starting with what looked like an attainable goal. 100 million shots in the first 100 days. We were already doing more than a million a day at that point. So if he did absolutely nothing, we would have done 100 million in the first 100 days, even if he didn't show up. But he did show up repeatedly. 100 million more Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson vaccine supply for every American adult by the end of May. By my 100th day in office, have administered 200 million shots. I heard early on the president was very impatient. He is. He is. You know, and that um, that's the truth. He's impatient. Like, OK, is this the best we can do? He asks specific questions. Well, what about this? And why aren't we doing this? And are we doing the best in that? Biden could not control the delays due to winter storms or governors who eased restrictions. And he abided by the decision from the FDA and CDC to temporarily pause the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, a move that some saw as overcautious and confusing. The checks are providing a heck of a lot of needed relief. The president did jumpstart a substantial federal response, a $1.9 trillion American rescue plan. America's coming back. Deployment of active duty military in FEMA, a federal pharmacy program, a network of community health centers, to increase vaccine access and equity. We have to always start with access, making sure that people can get vaccinated in places where they are comfortable and where they trust the people who are vaccinating them. Many in communities of color are skeptical. What about the side effects? Vaccinations of younger people and those in rural areas are lagging. And with the number of overall daily vaccinations wavering, appealing to the hesitant is crucial. We always will meet people where they are. We always have to make sure that messages are tailored. So that's about saying, what are your particular concerns? We want to be free! And politics, as always, comes into play. 50% of Republican men say they are not likely to take the vaccine. 
What would you say to them? I would say that it's absolutely crazy because the, you know, the, the people that say, you know, hey, we want to get rid of these masks. We want to open up all the businesses. The only way we ever get life back to normal is if we get enough people to get that vaccine. So why not explain the rewards of vaccination earlier? If what we're saying to them is get vaccinated, it's great. This is such a safe and effective vaccine. But by the way, you can't really change much of your daily activities. I don't think that people understand what's in it for them. And why not open schools sooner? I think this was a major mistake at the very beginning, was to not prioritize teachers for vaccination. The administration's answer has always been the same. Let the science lead. I think it's another example where we followed the science. The CDC put out guidance as to how to make sure to open schools safely and keep them open safely. Now a new phase in the effort, an immense Get Out the Vax PR campaign, a TV blitz. With vaccines, we can trust. Celebrities getting jabs. Vaccine, vaccine. It really is kind of a race between getting vaccinated and the virus trying to essentially surge up again. Every day that goes by, you get closer and closer to that virus really not being able to do anything because when you get an overwhelming majority of the population vaccinated, the virus has no place to go. The country is at a tipping point. With coronavirus variants on the rise, the next 100 days and beyond will still be a tough race with the final finish line not yet in sight. And Jake, now as the administration starts to loosen guidance on things like masking, they're walking a very fine line here letting up on restrictions while still telling people, you know, you ought to remain vigilant. It's not an easy sell. Not at all. Gloria Borger, thanks so much. Really appreciate that. A nation's top diplomat caught on tape giving details on rivalries and power struggles like you've never heard before from inside that country. And that's next. In our world lead today, a firestorm in Iran after the country's foreign minister, Mohammad Javid Zarif, was caught privately criticizing Iran's powerful and elite Islamic Revolutionary Guard, revealing a behind-the-scenes power struggle and claiming that the military is calling the shots. Foreign Minister Zarif also said that the Trump administration's successful January 2020 targeting of General Qasem Soleimani was quite consequential. CNN's Kylie Atwood joins us now live from the State Department. And Kylie, what exactly did the foreign minister say? Well, Zarif said specifically of Qasem Soleimani, that uh, former top commander in Iran, that he had actively worked to sabotage the Iran nuclear deal by working with Russia to do so. He also said that he had done things in Syria that were not in Iran's interest. And he makes it very clear, you know, this commander, Qasem Soleimani, was killed by the United States during the Trump administration. But what the foreign minister makes clear here about Iran is the fact that even though that commander is gone, the Iranian military is the supreme force when it comes to Iran. He said, quote, the Islamic Republic is the military field. That's what rules, demonstrating that no matter what he does diplomatically, he has to give up a lot on his diplomatic efforts just so that the military can do what they want to do. We asked about this to State Department spokesperson Ned Price during the briefing today because it's significant, giving the U.S. Uh, and other countries that are trying to re-enter to salvage the Iran nuclear deal are talking 
right now. Uh, Ned Price wouldn't comment on it, but he did comment on the fact that despite the fact that the military commander was opposed to the Iran nuclear deal, they were able to uh, gr create that deal in 2015. Now they're trying to salvage it. And, and uh, Kylie, Zarif has also been suggested as a possible candidate for Iran's June 18th presidential election. What are experts making about the timing of this leak? Yeah, that makes the timing of this like a little bit uh, questionable, but it's really hard to know if this benefits Zarif or if it hurts him. You talk to folks who say, yeah, in one way it does benefit Zarif. It demonstrates that he is really trying to do everything he can diplomatically, despite the front that he faces at home with the military. But on the other hand, you talk to folks who say this is not a leak that is going to help the foreign minister in any way, shape or form because the supreme leader of Iran is isn't going to be happy. And that is uh, truly the only person who matters when it comes to this power struggle within Iran. One thing that we can be sure of, Jake, is the fact that when the U.S. official heads to Vienna to try and salvage the Iran deal uh, this week, this is going to be something that's definitely going to be discussed. All right, Kylie Atwood at the State Department. Thanks so much. Is former President Trump the only person on earth who can convince many of his supporters that they should get the vaccine? The push to get Trump to make a PSA. That's next. In our Healthy Today, will former President Trump do more to help get the U.S. closer to herd immunity? We know many of his fans are reluctant to get vaccinated. Almost 30% of Republicans say they're definitely not going to get the shots. That's according to a Kaiser Family Foundation poll from March. CNN senior medical correspondent Elizabeth Cohen joins us now. And Elizabeth, you just learned that Trump's closest advisors are, are pleading with him to make a vaccine PSA. What are they saying? What they're saying, Jake, is that they they are really nervous. They're scared for President Trump, former President Trump's legacy. You know, the vaccine was developed uh, under his administration and his supporters say he should own that. And he, I'm sorry, his former uh, aides, these officials say that he should own that that he should sell that, that he should tell his followers, look, I helped develop this vaccine. I led that effort in Operation Warp Speed, and I want you to take it. Now, these former Trump administration officials who I've spoken with, they say, look, Trump supporters listen to Trump and pretty much only to Trump. This is what one of those officials tells me. This official says, I see Operation Warp Speed tipping towards failure, and it really concerns me. If we don't move half those people into the vaccinated column, we're most likely not going to reach community immunity. And if we don't reach it, then the president's vaccine legacy is is dead. Now, Jake, last week, former President Trump said on Fox News, he mentioned that he'd been asked to make a PSA. And very briefly, he said, I'll do it. However, we all know that the former president um, changes his mind. And that's hardly a, a, a commitment to actually making the PSA. These former officials are looking for a commitment. Jake? It's so odd, Elizabeth. Trump himself got vaccinated in January, but he did it secretly we didn't find out till much, much later. What do health experts think about if he had televised his getting that shot in January, whether the U.S. would be in a better place? 
if he had televised it and if he had released that, made it part of a PSA, that would have made a big difference. I mean, look, all the other former presidents did televise uh, them getting their shots and their wives, the former first ladies. But let's face it, people who are supporters of, say, uh, Jimmy Carter or Barack Obama, they're pretty much, not completely, but pretty much those folks are getting vaccinated. So if President Trump had at the time uh, taken pictures of it, had a photographer, had a videographer there, that would have made a difference if he decided that he wanted to make that part of a campaign. But I will say that the officials that I've been talking to, the folks who used to work in the Trump administration, they say, look, even without that, the president looking into the camera and giving an earnest uh, plea to his followers to get vaccinated, they think that would make a big difference, even without images of him and Mrs. Trump getting vaccinated. So so self-defeating. Elizabeth Cohen, thanks so much. Appreciate it. You might believe President Biden is really the Hamburglar. If you watch Trumpy news these days, the wacky, wild, often dangerous conspiracy theories that Republicans are now peddling. Plus, vaccinated Americans with the travel bug may soon be able to fly to Europe again. When might that be allowed? That's next. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.